Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. Glad I was able to introduce everybody in advance by LinkedIn so that you knew who everyone was, um, but we'll just quickly go around for the benefit of the recording really also, but for each other in case you didn't have a chance to check it out. So I'll, I guess I'll start with myself. Uh, everybody here knows me so far. Ron Fritz, one of the co-founders and CEO of TechSoft 3D, either currently providing technology to it, everybody here or soon to be, I think. Um, I hope. How about you, Pat? Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Patricia Hume, Pat, uh, CEO of Canvas GFX. I joined Canvas about, I was just writing an investor letter. So I was doing the math. It's 20 months mm-hmm. since I joined and we took a 30-year-old company and did a venture pivot. And uh, I'm having a blast. Uh, new to manufacturing. So it's been a real interesting learning curve to really understand what's happening in the in the manufacturing space and then the challenges of selling into manufacturing. But hey, it's great. And Ron, you've been a great partner and um, we love your tech. So thank you for helping make our product even better than it was before we joined you. Yeah, thanks. Well, I... Uh... Plugs are not necessary for getting invited, but they but they never hurt. And uh, and Patricia, I was glad that you were able to join us because I think that what you just mentioned about not having a long history in manufacturing, but having history elsewhere, could be could bring a lot of should bring a lot of useful insights. How about you, Michael? And hi, everybody. So my name is Michael Bogomolny. I'm the co-founder and CTO at Parameters. Well, Parameters is a startup company, which not 30 years old, it's about four and a half years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was founded by like experts from the field of topology optimization. What we do is basically generative design for manufacturing, editing, but not only. So we do also beyond generative design, the processing for manufacturing as well. And uh, yeah, so Ron mentioned maybe future customers of your technology. So let's see. Mm-hmm. And Michael, is, is am I right that one of your investors, are you you were part of Exponential Works, or one of your investors is Avi, That's correct. former yes. former head of 3D Systems? Yeah. So Avi Reichenthal, who the former CEO, I think he has been he had been the CEO of 3D Systems for like 13 years. After stepping down from the role of CEO of 3D Systems, he became an active investor in several startups in the field of additive uh, manufacturing and also software for additive manufacturing. So uh, he's also one of my co-founders and a seed investor. Great. How about you, Magnus? Hi, everyone. I am the CEO and co-founder of Modelon, which is a Swedish company in uh, within in in the segment of uh, systems modeling and simulation solutions. So we're originally a spin-off from the University in Lund. Uh, we have grown with our own profits organically over a period of 15 years, 
And uh, uh, some years ago, we made a decision uh, to launch a cloud-based platform for systems modeling and simulation, and thereby sort of pioneering our space with that type of, of uh, product, aiming for a, for a software as a service business model on top of that. So uh, we launched this uh, in the middle of the pandemic last year. It's called Model on Impact, and it builds on a technology, very sophisticated, complete technology stack with a simulation engine and model libraries and so on that we have developed over a period of 15 years and which is now sort of the basis for a, a next phase in our growth journey. And we have been self-financed until a couple of years ago when to realize this new opportunity and vision, we decided to bring in capital uh, from the financial markets. And we're actually right now uh, uh, heading towards an IPO. Great, congrats. Thank you. Great, Great. how about you, Tyler? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Tyler Barnes, Vice President of Partner Engagement at TechSoft. Um, essentially, that's business development and marketing. Uh, you've probably met people on my team. I've been at TechSoft for about six years, somewhere between six and seven years. Before that, I was, like you, a partner of TechSoft 3D. I licensed technology at Autodesk, and I was at Autodesk for quite some time working on mechanical design product line. Indeed. So. Um as I mentioned in the emails, the the topic is really about what areas we think will get innovation, where we'll see the most innovation post-pandemic. The conversation doesn't need to be constrained to things that are in, a, in innovation in directly in response to, to COVID, but I think that's an interesting place to start anyway, because the, the world's been changed for some period of time, maybe for an extended period of time. And we've all seen some things that have worked and not worked. And surely some areas are going to get get more investment than others. People are going to see opportunity to move things forward. Um, so rather than pick on someone and put them on the spot, anybody have some have initial thoughts based on my email to say, here's the first thing I want to say when we get on this call. Yeah, I'm chatty, Ron, as you know. So I've been thinking about it. I knew I could count on you. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> um, so guys, one of the things that's happening in our business, but it's really the industry, not our business. It's the industry that's driving it. We have customers like Chevron. I use them as an example because as we bring our new cloud product to market, the idea is to be able to provide and empower anyone to be able to create and then consume really precise visual content, okay? So we, we take all the 3D models and the 2D and whatnot, and then we create visualization. And the other reason I, I bring it up is Chevron, we talked to Chevron at great length about what they call their connected worker strategy. And Ron was kind when he said, you're new to manufacturing, but you've been around a while. And he's very, it's very true. And when I heard connected worker strategy, I come out of IBM, I come out of SAP, I come out of Avaya Technology. I've been around for actually 44 years in the software space. So, you know, I heard connected worker and I thought, oh, collaboration. Boy, we've been there, done that. What I found interesting is that's not what they meant at all. Okay. And it is about post 3D and COVID. What Chevron is doing is they're using Microsoft HoloLens and they're putting the lens on the guys in the field 
And they're providing them the capability through augmented or mixed reality, as Satya says, mixed reality. In this case, it's AR. Yeah. The ability to fix the oil rigs in the field. They stated that if they, prior to having the HoloLens capability, they would fly people, SMEs, subject matter experts, into the field, costing them a minimum of $100,000 per guy or gal to get them out there. And that indeed this concept that is being deployed through the connected worker strategy in the HoloLens has you know, moved beyond 3D as we know it, right? Into spatial, yeah? Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's really interesting um, that that is a certainly, it's been around a while, but I see the trend picking up. Second part of the sentence, and I know it was a long sentence. So I reached out to Microsoft because that's what I do. And I said, hey, dudes, where are you getting the data to drive this thing? It's a device. It's like this thing. Like, where are you getting it? And and how precise is it? And how much clarity are you giving these guys out in the field with respect to using some new device that's coming in from some spatial data set? Um, so there's a huge opportunity there, guys. That's that's. I guess that's what I'm seeing. Um, our ability for us in particular to port our platform to Unity and to have a traditional way of creating and visualizing data. Yeah. And now the new way, you know, having both capabilities, the traditional way will feed VR, uh, the new way will feed AR. And our math, the algorithms we have in our product will facilitate much more clarity and precision and industrial level clarity needed for this kind of beyond 3D thinking that Chevron is using. And by the way, we've found it now across multiple of our existing customers, this concept of the connected user with the augmented reality or mixed reality. So I see that coming and I see it coming faster than I would have anticipated, but everything in industry 4.0 is moving fairly fairly quickly now, right? It's been around a while. Now it's finally taking hold. So that's just my thought process. That's interesting. The mixed reality, like there's, it's been around a while. Uh, It's getting better all the time. There's these barriers to it really fully getting adopted, the usability, getting data in, authoring the environments. But certainly one of the barriers had been people saying, is this really critical or how critical is this or how close is this to the real thing? And COVID has forced people to say, I guess it's more critical than we thought. And then once it reaches criticality, somehow people find a way to solve the other, the other things. I almost found I almost found a, like the biggest bottleneck to what you're describing, Pat, was was the authoring of whether it's animations or exploded views or whatever it is. And there was no algorithmic way or AI driven way to do that. It was all really manual. So if someone's creating an instruction manual, they're doing it, taking vector art out of SolidWorks or something. They're not creating animations. So how are you guys like when you're saying you seem picking up, how are they solving the authoring challenge for that? That's that's a great question, Tyler, because that is why I called them. I said, okay, guys, so yeah, you got this great cool device. Where are mm-hmm. you getting the doc? Where are you getting the data? Which mm-hmm. to me is the documentation, the images, the animation, the stuff you need to ensure the guy has what he needs to do his job. Yeah. Um, Microsoft won't admit it, and I don't blame them because they're Microsoft, but they're struggling. Yeah. They hinted 
they hinted they were struggling. And then they did something that I've worked with them for 30 years. They did something that's indicative without admitting struggling. They've had five or six meetings with us. They don't waste their time if they have mm-hmm. any. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, don't. waste <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So they're taking a look under the covers at what we're doing. And I think you guys probably all saw they just won the twenty two point eight billion dollar ISBR deal with the United States Department of Defense to put the hollow lens inside the helmets of the deployed field guys in the United States military. Mm-hmm. And we pitched to them as well. And they said, holy moly, you guys, if you can get this level of precision into this silly device, and they didn't say silly because they love it, mm-hmm. but if you can get this level of precision into the device. So we've been prototyping hot desks mm-hmm. and prototyping hot spots on the hot desk using the device. We've done some pretty cool stuff. So mm-hmm. fingers and by the way, we need your animation desperately, right? Okay. We're <laughs> <laughs> excited to get the feature, animation. Feature I, I, I know they're building the UI out on that right now. Yeah, we need that, guys. Hurry up. <laughs> Got it. Uh, it's, it's really cool. I, I couldn't agree more. It's a huge opportunity. That maintenance repair operation space has always been rife with inefficiency, and no one's really cracked the code on that. That's exciting. Thank you. Before we yeah. kind of go into other areas that we might see, let's stick with this mixed reality area for a while. If Michael or Magnus have anything to, to add or refute or disagree with or I, I think it's very interesting. It, 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 uh, we're coming from a slightly different angle, uh, the system simulation, which is more about describing the uh, behavior on, of some kind of complex device or system uh, by means of uh, exploiting the actual physics embedded in, in this thing. So it's, it's uh, animation visualization is a means to, to visualize these physical phenomena. We use animation for these purposes, but the actual value of what we offer is in the uh, models that 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 can reproduce or predict uh, performance and behavior. And there, uh, we have you know the, this this industry bus on on digital twins for uh, predictive maintenance. Uh, I understand this is sort of what you're talking about uh, largely. The type of models that are used in these digital twins are precisely the type of models that, that we provide with our solutions. And I think it, it, we're seeing a lot of initiatives, we're seeing a lot of demonstrators, we're seeing so proof of concept with by by you know the really big players. You're mentioning Microsoft, we're seeing uh, others, uh, uh, PTC, ANSYS, all, all the guys are teaming up with also uh, uh, companies like S- SAP, where you connect uh, to, to, to the, econom- the economic values and the directly of, of, of moving uh, these kind of maintenance processes into the digital space. So we're really, really thrilled about all the opportunity that we see in this space. Although I, from where we sit, it's, it's still in many cases on the proof of concept level. Uh, so, so what we're 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 looking at that as as a very very interesting segment to move towards, and then also in connection with this, uh, look at system simulation and three D three D has has been traditionally two fairly uh, uh, separate worlds, and I think there is a huge value in doing uh, the connection more tight. 
both for vi for, for the visual uh, visual parts, but actually also for the if you broaden 3D into 3D uh, analysis connected with the system, uh, th there is tremendous value in, in, in exploring that. And again, I think we're still in many ways working in silos. So uh, when you say model, about, like in, in the model on world, when you say the model, we're not talking about the 3D model that you can spin around on the screen. You're talking about this, the model of an entire complex system that might have metal parts, electrical wiring, yeah. So a mo model, in, uh, when we talk about a model, it's basically a, mm -hmm. a computer model that contains the equation, physical equations that governs the behavior of something. And what you mm -hmm. what you produce there is numbers. Uh, the you, you get the temperatures, uh, velocities, uh, positions, and things like that, which are, uh, of course, very appropriate to visualize using three uh, uh, D uh, mm -hmm. visual models, if you like. Gotcha. It's a big challenge yeah, in our world is. to visualize what's going on in an effective way. And that requires connection with 3D. Mm -hmm. So if I can uh, jump in, actually, it's interesting. While, while, while discussion was interesting to see that, uh, you know, I'm coming a little bit from different field of connected to additive manufacturing, design for additive manufacturing. But actually, speaking about field uh, inspection using virtual reality, and uh, as an idea, probably finding broken pieces which need to be quickly replaced in field operation, quickly doing fast design, fast manufacturing and, and replacement. And this is what uh, you mentioned Industry 4.0, that is all about how things can be connected. And uh, this is actually where um, defense military applications are looking at fast replacement of, of uh, an effective replacement of part in field environment. And uh, so connecting, having tools which will, you will be able to design quickly. Actually, this is where we are playing. Like mm -hmm. having your design space, taking physics into account to generate valid geometry which can be additively manufactured and replaced and actually the accuracy of, of the geometry that needs to be replaced is extremely important. So those things actually comes together nicely. So while discussion came to my mind that it can be really interesting when connecting all these tools together. And actually another, right. another point you mentioned also cloud tools. We also operate on the cloud and mm -hmm. extremely important to have uh, ability to access uh, cloud computing to, to, to make these type of designs and simulation and analysis fast. Even field operation just need, need connection, connectivity to the internet. And you have your design, which in field operation can be manufactured today. I know that in, in, in some defense applications, they have uh, field labs when they can print parts. Mm -hmm. Right, close to where they need them. Well, since we're talking about additives, you know, one of the big things that happened immediately was disruptions of supply chains, and then this this talk about moving manufacturing closer to home or closer to where where you need it. It would seem to be that would seem to create a really great environment for the growth of of additive manufacturing and to get people to actually force people to try it and realize what it can do, where its limits are. But yet we haven't really seen like the stock prices of the, of the big 3D printer companies haven't really improved. Although Velo 3D's valuation when they went public was, was really high. Um, but 
But how do you explain that, Michael? Like, why, why do you think on one hand, the, the conditions seem so ripe? On the other hand, the companies don't seem to be making a lot, the, the printer companies aren't making a lot of money. Right. So it's it's interesting uh, question. Uh, you know, sometimes the market behavior, investors' behavior, and actual companies' behavior not align. This is exactly mm-hmm. what's happening here. But it was, yeah, in the beginning of COVID, it was very clear that, you know, the supply chain, especially when many factories in China were shut down for, for some time, many parts were not supplied and basically many manufacturing lines were, sh- were, were stopped. And uh, many companies, at least big OEMs, they understood that they need at least some fraction of manufacturing to be local. Not all mm-hmm. of them is part of it. And uh, if you want local manufacturing with low investment, so additive, this is where it shines. So being close to additive, I can tell you that in recent few years, the quality—it it was many, many discussions about about disrupting supply chain, but additive <clears throat> didn't really how to exactly to define it. Didn't really launch and had been scaled due to several factors. First, speed, cost, material quality. But in the last mm-hmm. few years, it has been significantly improved. The, the, the processes, the control over the processes and the materials, <clears throat> and it's getting to to state where it's very close to become uh, valid, like controlled manufacturing process. And you could see in, in last year, even bigger space companies, they qualified some parts. It's just the beginning, but it's, it, 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 it's gonna, gonna, gonna scale more. So ability to produce uh, parts, even in smaller volumes, is extremely important. So investors, so first the disruption of of supply chain and additive can can close this gap. So as a future, I believe they 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 invest for the future, and many of uh, venture backed three um, D printing companies like Desktop Metal and others, they yeah they got huge valuations. A little bit dis- disproportional to their revenues, uh, but um, yeah, this is this is where it, where we're <laughs> this is where it is right now. And um, so overall, but uh, we also as a company, we also see after COVID, for instance, automotive industry was significantly affected, uh, and most of our customers coming from automotive. I'm talking about BMW, Ford. Volkswagen and so on. So um, while actually I can tell you that while in Europe situation is not that good in the US, uh, a lot of money was injected in, in the market. So I think American companies are more active, I would say, mm-hmm. in this space. And we see more and more understanding that, okay, if we are going for additive, it's not that I take the part which was manufactured by milling or injection molding, and I print exactly the same one using 3D printing. Uh, it's completely different state of mind. You have to understand if I have additive, I can consolidate parts, I can reduce assemblies, um, I can use different materials maybe to, 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 to change the design, and you need tools to realize the, the potential uh, of additive. And that's where traditional CAD model, CAD software tools were designed for traditional manufacturing. And in many cases, they 
don't realize the full potential of additive and this is where a company like mine mm-hmm. uh, is coming to the game we are able to effectively design for additive uh, you know if typical design process to create geometry simulate create geometry simulate iterate can take weeks using our solution it can take tens of minutes after a few hours and you can have model validated by finite element analysis you can date 3d model which ready for manufacturing uh, right away so while mm-hmm. talking about all these supply chains the design process which which is very expensive in terms of human hours uh, plus realizing that the potential of additive and shortening all the supply chain this is where it all comes together yeah a few people have mentioned kind of industry 4.0 and we, we hear people talk about, sometimes talk about like lights out manufacturing, really be able to have factories run with few or, or no people. It seems like the, that the motivation to do that is even higher now when people worry about, is there going to be another pandemic where I'm going to have to have my workforce go home and how can I do this with a fewer number of people spread out? What, what are people seeing? What, what things are moving forward fastest in the industry 4.0 area of you know getting to the point that really factories can run without pe- people there uh, pat earlier you were talking about you know the data and how do you get the data in and uh you know iot and edge computing are all important areas but what are what are people seeing there magnus made a really good point and i'm gonna you know it it ties to what you're saying ron Megan said, we're so siloed, right? The industry has so many disparate initiatives. You know, we say, oh, PLM, it's one workflow. That's nonsense. It isn't because you have MES and you have ERP and you have, you know, you have supply chain management. You have a ton of different technologies competing, right, for that sort of being the master and the rest being the slave, you know? And then you've got the whole digital twin and the product data backbone and you've got additive and you've got mixed reality and you have, you know, all this crazy edge and uh, robotics and AI. Yeah. And I think I think the challenge if there is another pandemic and factories have to run people less. Yeah. It's going to take a while because the market is so highly fragmented with so many people coming in at every entry point possible, every entry point possible, you know, with the best, the best of breed for what they do. No disrespect to Magnus, Michael, I don't know how broad your solutions are, but they tend to solve a problem, not the problem, right? A problem. Yeah. And, and, I just think that we are challenged as technologists, and I think the manufacturing verticals are challenged as people facing a problem because we're not working together well enough, right? We're we're overlapping slightly, and instead of taking advantage of, like I listen to Magnus and Michael, and I think, oh my gosh, I'd love to integrate with what they're doing. We could really add value to these guys, yeah? Um, I don't think there's enough of that. I think there's a ton of acquisition going on because the big boys are have the money and they're buying whatever and then they're bolting stuff on. 
And I don't think they're thinking as clearly as they should be with respect to the pain in the industry. And so getting to that personless factory, I think it's going to take a while, a, a, mm-hmm. a long while. I, I more than agree with you. If I'm so sorry to jump, more than no. agree with you. You know, as a startup, as a startup, we cannot solve all the problems, right? We solve some some particular pain. We are not. We don't have the resources. But I can tell you that we completely understand that in new new industry 4.0. It's look, let's look at the simple manufacturing before. Companies, they buy material, they do design, and then they go to manufacturing. Today, it's all interconnected. So we as a partner, as, as even as a startup, we collaborate with big material companies, like multi-billion dollar material companies, and 3D printing machines providers, integrating solutions together to, to be completely aligned. So to close at least this gap, you talk about bigger picture, and that's why the menu of MA is happening with uh, with all big companies and this is what they plan to do and uh, i would love to do but they don't have the resources but i completely agree mm-hmm. with you magnus you were going to add something there as well yeah yes i i, I think i i really also like your uh, pat what you say competing to become the masters uh, and, and and not the slaves so this is something we have observed from our position for for a long for a long time, and if you look at the big players, they are building their sort of humongous platforms that includes all functionality, and it's it's simply I, I would say probably very scary for even large companies to 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 say, well, we're going to put all our eggs in your basket. We we, we use your platform for everything we do. And you can't rely on any any provider to offer the best you know, individual solutions for all pieces in that. So we have already since our start 15 years ago put a lot of effort in, in into building all our software on open standards, uh, open APIs, and uh, split up in sort of modules that are sort of reusable and that we can you know pull together in our products, but also uh, we're doing some technology licensing for other software vendors, and we're also helping uh, industry companies to to implement digital workflows for for system simulation, and we can use our uh, software building blocks and very effectively deliver either something that's sort of off the shelf. A point solution, if you like, but also something that's open to to integrate with other systems. So we're seeing our vision, uh, which I uh, does not seem to be shared by everyone, but we believe in it very strongly. Is that if, if we have this is this is our scope of what we're good at, and we'll just make sure to de- deliver that in a, in a form which can be connected into more sort of a network of different solutions that is adapted for a certain uh, customer needs and so on, where we, we can support and enable workflows, data flows, uh, and, and and all this, which is simply is not possible with these monolithic, big, big, uh, big, big things, monsters. So I think this yeah. is really interesting. If you, if we, I, I, we strongly believe that the, the, importance of open standards, open APIs, and so on, will continue to, to just increase. We see a huge pull. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting kind of challenge, balancing challenge because one common theme here is that all of us are relatively small companies compared to the big ones we're talking about. And so, of course, we believe that everything should interoperate and should have open APIs. And then the big guys whose names we won't won't name are they want to be what you're describing, Pat, is like they want to be that full full solution. And then the closer they get to that, the more closed they get because they want to keep those those clients really beholden to them. I wonder what what market dynamic would need to change for that to for that cycle to break. Um, Financially, I think it's time that the first back. I think we need to, um, you know, if I had the wherewithal, <laughs> um, this is an amazing market time uh, to identify best of breed. That is, to Magnus's point, open, you know, published APIs. Non, no proprietary. I, I'm with you, Magnus. I come out. I'm I'm a big proponent of that world as well. Not because I'm a small company. I just think it makes sense. Because if we're here to serve our customers, that's what our customers need. Um, closing want, yeah. these mm-hmm. systems, right, is greedy. Opening the systems makes everybody a winner. Yeah. And so I'm a big proponent of that. But I believe wholeheartedly, and I've had lots of conversations with having been in the industry for as long as I have, I talked to a lot of private equity, a lot of banks, just more for curiosity than anything. I'm trying to figure this out. And I really think the time will come shortly where somebody's going to go do their homework and identify the best of breed across the workflows that have to happen. You know? And if you're the guy or gal that has the courage and the initiative and the backing to do it, you could build the coolest freaking business on the planet from people like Magnus's company, your company, Ron, Michael's company. I would mm-hmm. hope Canvas, we're, we're just weird. We create the documents. We get the, the documents so that people can read what's going on quickly and additive and married 3D models with IoT and all those kinds of things. Yeah. But I really think there is an opportunity to create a massive disruption right? A massive disruption to the big guys. But it's, it takes time and it takes people with capital. There's plenty of dry powder. It's just getting mm-hmm. the right combination, right? A SPAC would do it, but you need to find the, the big anchor business and then you got to find the money. Mm-hmm. You, Tyler, for, yeah. Go, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, well, so we talked about workflows. So let's say design to manufacturing for workflows in many companies, they have been built for uh, decades within each company. They selected the right tools to build the workflow. So to penetrate in the, to, to, into traditional workflow for big OEMs, it's nearly impossible. But what uh, additive is opening, basically most of it. I, I don't say there's no any big OEM who's not having any additive team and trying to build workflow around additive. So the new manufacturing technologies open these opportunities. And we see that uh, that's exactly what I try to do, right? So each big company, we in contact, they evaluate. So they look, of course, they first evaluate the big guys and then they look at the smaller startups. They see better quality from smaller startups. And uh, then, then they realize. So this is where you talk about disruption 
I believe with the new manufacturing technology, it is possible. With Industry 4.0, it is possible, definitely. And uh, yeah, let's see. Tyler, when you were running things with Autodesk Inventor, you must have seen this from a couple angles, like one, trying to get Inventor into places that maybe are kind of stuck with systems that they're already using, even if they don't love them on one hand. But then also places where Inventor was already being used, there was a lot of workflow built around traditional manufacturing and something like, you know, generative design, even Autodesk's offering for generative design has trouble breaking in there because the processes were built around there. What what were you, I know I asked you two questions in one just to make it, just to penalize you for agreeing to join at the last second, but well, what, I, what were you seeing? One of the things that's interesting, if you're just looking at mechanical CAD, you know, for, for years and years, all of the opportunity any of us had was moving AutoCAD users to 3D mechanical design. And at some point, five or six years ago, the the, the, the first world was 90% penetrated or saturated in mechanical design. So only the only growth was coming from organic growth. But in tools like Inventor, Solid Edge, SolidWorks, um, you know, no, no CAD environment is, is homogeneous. And so you have some of these big manufacturing companies that are standardized on something like Katia or Pro, um, where if we could build, if we could make Inventor open enough that it could be used side by side with some of those applications, we could take market share out from, from you know, PTC or, 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 um, or Siemens just because it was it was good for the bottom line. You know, they you only need ten percent of your seats to have that kind of functionality, and so that those were kind of the kinds of triggers that would get us to look at at making our our solution more open. Mm -hmm. All right, looks like um, we're getting close to the end of the time, so we're going to go round robin final thoughts on anything else that you were really wanting to add to this conversation about innovation, but that we didn't get to it through the ebb and flow of the conversation. Uh, Pat, to reward you for going first, we'll let you have the final word. Magnus, um, any any additional final thoughts or things that you're seeing that we didn't get to talk about yet today? I feel we just got started, so we could, <laughs> there's a, a lot yeah. more to, 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 uh, to talk about for sure. So I, I don't know exactly how to, 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 to summarize this, but I, I think that when we're talking about how we as smaller companies can build strong solutions based on open standard, based on sort of, uh, in more integration, uh, uh, I, I think that's a very very interesting idea to mm -hmm. to, to to explore further. I think I think there are, as to Pat's point, there are enormous opportunities lying in in, in this. But I also don't mm. have the answer. What is, what is the next step to get there? Well, you might have just given us a topic for uh, the next next future sessions of like what what needs to be integrated and why and and trying to because we TechSoft is in a unique position to introduce all the people who could do that and possibly be part of that solution as well. Very happy um, to contribute. Uh, Michael, any last thoughts from you? Yeah. You know, in pandemic, uh, I, I'm not an expert in pharmaceutics, but I saw that uh, 
you know, as I understood, typical vaccine development should take between three to five years. And it was developed within a year, right? And we know I was vaccinated already, so I don't know about you. So mm-hmm. we see the tremendous progress which was done uh, in that area. And I've heard from, from people from, from Antarctic saying that they, they technological science research progress they have done in last year, it's like almost like a decade of research. And uh, projecting the same to, 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 to industry 4.0 for manufacturing, design to manufacturing, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be done in, in, in traditional manufacturing with the new design tools, new manufacturing tools. Uh, that's, that's, that's maybe just the beginning and we will see tremendous progress in that area. How about you, Tyler? Anything we didn't get to? No, but I really enjoyed um, hearing from all three of your perspectives. I, at my time at Autodesk, I worked on a Medellica-based systems um, engineering tool. I worked on generative design applications. I worked on tech pubs applications. So it's it's fun to see innovation happening. And for me, it was just really interesting to hear 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 what you're you're doing. I I think all three of those areas are are rife for innovation and a lot of of what we're seeing in terms of the new partners we're onboarding onboarding that that tracks with with what we're seeing we're seeing generative design not just general generative design but generative design and shipbuilding um we you know we can sit we continue to see the value in in systems modeling tech pubs has <laughs> needed innovation for years and years and years and there's tons of opportunities there so um i pre- appreciated the conversation all right patricia as promised you get the last word. word. <laughs> okay. First of all, I want to thank everybody. Um, it was super helpful, super um, interesting for me. I'm always learning. I think, um, Michael, you made a point, and I loved it, and that is, you know, the large OEMs are, are uh, slow to move their dinosaurs. And the only thing I'll leave us with is the dinosaurs died. Took a while, um, but it was the evolution of the planet that caused them to die. Technology is moving faster than the evolution of our planet, and the dinosaurs will die if they don't adapt. And the adaptability comes through innovation, and that's what we're all here to do. So I believe wholeheartedly that as innovators, we can trigger, be catalyst toward innovative changes in the OEMs eventually. But if not, you go to the innovators, and that's how we'll make our money. And if we could come together more effectively, we could impact it faster. So so that's all I have to say. (laughs) The the absolute perfect summary sentences. (laughs) Okay. Thanks everybody. Thanks for the the time and uh, very interesting conversation as I knew it would be. Talk to you all again soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast, hosted by TechSoft3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review, or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.